0: welcome to the podcast let the prophet speak today we begin a new book this book is long the book of samuel samuel 1 and samuel 2 which were originally written as two books Um, i'm sorry it was originally written as one book together they were divided in um in the early days at the time of the writing the septuagint Uh, and just simply in order to make room for the book was too large to fit in one scroll so they divided it into two so it's really one book of Samuel now the um, book of Samuel follows the book that we just finished studying together the book of Judges and the book of Judges really gave us the sense and the feeling of the period of time between the conquest of the people of Israel of the land of Israel and the several hundred years until the birth of Samuel, which led to the eventual establishment of a monarchy. And that period was the period of judges. It was a time of anarchy, a time of violence, a time of corruption, a time of immorality, a time of oppression time of constant wars with neighbors and 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 um, moral decline, as was most evident in the final two stories at the end of the book of Judges, the story of the Pesel Micha, the idol of Micah, and the story of the Pelegesh Begiva, the concubine in Giva, and her rape and the civil war that ensued after that. And a refrain that we heard many times at the end of the book of Judges that in those days Ain Melach be, Israel, there was no king in Israel, and each called Hayossha, A everyone did whatever it is that they saw fit for themselves. Everyone acted selfishly and did their own thing. There was no central authority to bring the people together and hopefully unite them in a proper for the proper purpose. This next book therefore begins on the heels of that very very sad and difficult end. And show and and begins the story of how the Israelite monarchy became a monarchy. How the people became united. Uh, eventually, built a temple, a central temple of central place of worship, a central focus. Um, and these were the um, the next. Uh, and that's what the book of Samuel is all about. And that's what we'll be studying. How Samuel eventually led to the kingdom of King Saul, the first king and then King David, and it ends um, at the end of the reign of King David. The book of Samuel has many familiar stories in it. It's uh, we're, As we read through the stories, um, Samuel, in, in some sense, is one of the easiest books to read in the sense that it's narrative, it's stories, especially stories that we're all familiar with. But in the way of this, that I've been as, approaching this entire podcast, The idea is going to be to look back at the words, read the the language carefully, and read what the prophet is saying carefully, and understand to the best of our ability to let the prophets speak for themselves so that we can come up with new insights, new ideas that might help us understand the meaning and the lessons of this wonderful text. Um, So just remember we start off at the lowest ebb of Jewish history that was uh, uh, embodied by what had happened with the Pelegesh Begiva, the gang rape, her murder, or er, er, the gruesome the message that was sent to the people of Israel, the fact that the tribes uh, and, and get, got into civil war. The tribe of Benjamin actually stood up for the perpetrators. Um, the civil war ended with death of thousands and thousands of people at a time when the Pesel Micha, the idol of Micah was still a focus of worship for other tribes. So it was it was bad. It was really bad. Now, one interesting thing about those two bad stories, the idol of Micah and the Concubine of Giva, the Micha and the Pelageshba Begiva, is both of those stories started out with a Levite, an itinerant Levite, who was who wandered from their original place. Uh, where they lived in the tribe of Judah. Remember the Levites didn't have their own territory, so they would have to live and they didn't have their own property, so they would have to live at the behest of the members of the other tribes. They would wander to the other tribes. And and um, that was what led to the idol of Micah when one Levite set himself up making himself a living as a as a uh, as a priest to the, that idol. And it would led the the um the Levite who was uh, traveling with his concubine to that awful story. the uh, it's interesting that the book of Samuel also begins with such a story, another Levite who who um, set up shop and lived in another place, although this one has a much better ending. So this kind of ties to the um, uh, to the um, uh, ending of the previous book in that other way. So it's another Levite that had left their family. So let's had left their original place and set up shop among another uh, one of the tribes. So ish This is verse one. There was a man who was from Romotayim. Mean little uh What does this mean? Romotayim it's, it's a name place that we're not familiar with. Rama means a high place. Ramatayim means the two high places, Tsofim, that, that look out, that are like have a vista. So it sounds like the 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 this uh, uh, according to tradi- the rabbinic tradition these these were two towns, each on hilltops that looked at were able to see each other from the hilltop. So some hilltop, and we know the hill country, Ephraim, often refers to the hill country of the tribe of Ephraim. Within which this man lived. Ushmo, and the name of this man was Elkanah ben Yirocham ben Elihu ben Tochu ben Tzuf Ephrati. It gives his lineage five generations. His father was Yirocham, whose father Elihu, whose father Tochu, whose father was Tzuf. And they were, and he, Elkanah, presumably was an Ephrati. Or it might mean that his great 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 grandfather was an Ephrati. I'll explain in a minute what Ephrati meant. But this lineage is meant to make it clear to us uh, that the, he, usually when it lays out a lineage like this, it's it's a sign of, of respect, it's a sign of a distinguished lineage. Um, Ephrati, on its surface, seems to mean they were Ephraimites, but we know from their uh, from Chronicles where it lays out their actual lineage, the family lineage, that he was a Levite, like I mentioned in the intro. Uh, so what does it mean that they were Ephrati, that he was from Ephraim? So the commentaries all have various explanations. Uh, maybe it means because he lived in Ephraim, which is what the Radak says. Um, and others say that maybe there was um, some... Uh, Ephrati doesn't actually mean from Ephraim. Maybe they were... Um, uh, uh, it, it, Rashi suggests that it might mean a, uh, a special person in Adam Khashuv... Like Apirion from a different word, from a different root. Um, but it seems to mean that they're Ephraimites. And I think, uh, kind of like the Radak, but I just want to uh, expound on that a little more. As we know, if after living in this among the Ephraimites for generations, he would have been culturally an Ephraimite. Uh, we had seen in the book of Judges that the tribes, over hundreds of years and generations, had developed distinct cultures, distinct accents. We remember the, the way they pronounced their words, distinct patterns of speech, distinct cultures, distinct uh, uh, you know patterns of life, and so on. By this time, they, this family of Levites who had been living among the tribe of Ephraim for five generations, you would expect them to be an Ephrati. And had they bumped into someone in a... You know, in a hotel lobby somewhere in one of the other tribes, they would have been immediately recognized as Ephraimites. I think that's what it means, that he was an Ephrati, even though he technically was not a member of the tribe of Ephraim. Velosh shten and he had two wives. This is verse 2. the name of number 1, was Chana, Hana, which means a woman of grace, Chain, Vishema Penina, and the name of the second was Penina, Penina, which is the word for pearl or gem, and Penina had children, and Chana, Hannah, did not have children. I know the story is probably very familiar to most uh, people that have had any education in um, in uh, in the Bible. Uh, but I want you to try to look at this now with fresh eyes. So we have here two women. Both uh, ha- have distinctly uh, beautiful names. Khana and Penina. Penina being the one. Kh- Achas, the first Chana. It's, it's, it's laying her out as the primary one. And the second was Penina. But Penina, the second one, was one who had children. Um, immediately this might remind us of the stories of Rachel and Leah. Um, The parallels between this story and other stories um, obviously abound and uh, it's interesting to think about the contrast and the similarities between this and other stories uh, from other parts of the Torah. This is verse 3, and this man, al who we just named, he would leave from his town on a yearly basis, he would go to hishtachavot to bow v'leizboach and to sacrifice la Os b'shilo to the Lord God in Shilo. Shilo is where the place of the tabernacle was. So this Levite immediately is being uh, portrayed as being faithful to the religion of God, as opposed to being like the Levite uh, who set up the idol of Micah. Visham shnei over there, the the um in the at the temple at the time, and this is really g- g- telling us to give us a nice sense for what time period in history this story took place. The two sons of Eli, and the names were Chafni and Pinchas. Don't confuse this Pinchas with. One of their ancestors, uh, the original Pinchas, but Eli, that was the Kohen Gadol. He had two sons, Chafni and Pinchas, and they were Kohanim LaDonai. They were priests to God. So this man would go, and 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 the commentaries point out Lehistachavot to bow Vilizboach and to bring sacrifices. Interestingly, it it's it's noted by the by the uh, rabbis that that here to bow means to pray. And the way it is laid out is to emphasize that the important part of the journey was the prayer, was the worship at the, beita, at the, at the Mishkan Shiloh. Lisboach, the sacrifice, was the second part. And this is an important point that the rabbis observed here because the theme of this of this chapter here is prayer. And we're going to see that in a moment as meaningful prayer from the heart. That is the meaning, that is the major lesson of this chapter. So the going to Shiloh and the sacrifice is going to be shown to be a secondary part. Now this is very important because as we study through the prophets and those that have been studying the words of the prophets until now, know and recognize that although sacrifice was of course part and a parcel and a major part of the the worship at the temple, sacrifices in general become less and less and less important while the meaning and the uh, uh, behind the service and worship of God and and behavior in general becomes much much more important as the torah progresses towards the, the you know through the days of the prophets and here we've already see an inkling of that the the number one we see that elkanah is following the rules by bringing his sacrifices to Shiloh to the tabernacle and not building himself an altar in his home like the idol of Micah people did back in the book of judges and which is good because God limited the sacrificial worship of God by saying that when there is a tabernacle then the only place to bring sacrifices is there and nowhere else and his primary purpose in going was was to pray not so much to to bring sacrifices now I'm about to read verse 4, and the day came, in other words, the day came for for the holiday, and this is saying this, that this is what generally happened when the time came for Elkanah. By the way, from Ephraim's tri- tribal territory to Shiloh is not a very long trip. So, uh, it, uh, you know, we know from modern distances, it's something that could have been could have been traveled on foot and maybe uh, maybe in even a day or two, not, not a very long trip at all, if with animals probably in less than a day. And, uh, and Elkanah would bring his sacrifice. And he would give, of course, to Penina, his wife, and to all of her children, her sons and her daughters, he would give them portions of the sacrifice to eat. They would obviously have a feast. And um, the animals would, uh, that had been sacrificed, the portions would be divided up, and everyone would get a portion. <speaking in Hebrew> he gave Hannah a special double portion. <speaking in Hebrew> because he had a special love for Hannah, for Hannah. And God had closed her womb, God had not allowed her to become pregnant. Now this is interesting and I want you to think about this point here because again we're going to see this repeated in this chapter and that is is that Elkanah here who's being portrayed as a devout loving husband who's taking care of his family who's doing what he, he's supposed to do he's going to pray and sacrifice at the at the tabernacle and so on and he gives Chana a double portion to try to appease her and compensate her but what Elkanah does not seem to get is, is that as much as he does for his wife and, and he does and uh, th- these things are commendable but he does not do enough because there are things that no human being can provide someone else there are things that one can only get through his or her relationship to God and that is something that an, a painful lesson that Al-Kana is going to have to learn so he thinks he's doing everything he can he loves her he cares for her he gives her extra meat um, he does his his his, his sacrificial uh, duties and so on, um, but but it but the bottom line is is that that's not enough. <inaudible> he would do the same thing every single year. <inaudible> when each year when he when it's time for him to go up to the house of God. <inaudible> I'm I'm sorry. I, I skipped the verse here. I apologize. Back to verse six. <inaudible> and her. Um, her, her her co-wife, Atsara is a co-wife, Penina, would anger her, a tremendous amount of anger. She would say things to her that would get her upset. She would taunt Hannah for her, uh, you know, the, the commentaries described, she would talk about, oh, you know, um, this child, oh, she's so cute, or this child did this, oh, I need to go get some clothing for this one, I got to get shoes for that one. Talk about child-rearing things, to Chana to um, in such an insensitive way that it would make Chana angry. Meaning, just just in order to taunt her, just in order to make her angry. It, it, the, the, the verse is deliberately portraying Penina as being cruel to her. Because, as we know, God had closed her womb, she had not had children. Panina is being presented in a negative light. Uh, in the rabbinic tradition, Panina uh, is attributed to her a, um, a positive uh, um, uh, intent here, and in that she really intended on getting Kana to pray, although um, it's of, of dubious, uh, 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 you know. Um, Quality that uh, certainly doesn't sound very nice at all and the verse is deliberately making panina sound very very um, um, cruel and this is what uh, he um, would happen every single year night, when she uh, or when it came time for, and during the year depending on exactly how I translate to go up to the house of God and um, uh, Came uh, in the same way she would make her angry and upset. And she, getting this double portion, the special portion, she would cry and not eat it. In other words, this sacrifice is not going to cut it for me. Getting in the best piece of meat, getting the nicest, or uh, and, and a double portion. That's that's that's. This is not going to do anything for me. The sacrifice in the temple and the eating of the uh, at the feast and a special honor from the husband, that's just not enough. She knew in her heart and her soul what kind of a woman she was, and she wanted to raise a child like um, like she knew she would be able to do it in a wonderful way. And then El-Kana, her husband, said to her, This is what he would tell her when she would cry instead of eat the special portion. Why are you crying? Why do you not eat your special portion? Why is your heart so sad? Are I not better for you than even ten children? Uh, here is El-Kana. Um The the way this seems to be read is is that this is clearly insensitive. This is clearly um, uh, almost a typical man who just doesn't get it. He doesn't un- doesn't get it doesn't take the extra few moments to think where she's coming from. On his end, he thinks, everything that I provide for you, he's looking only from his own perspective. I love you. I take care of you. I give you extra. I treat you with the special honor that the first wife is supposed to be treated. So you have everything. What more do you need? And he can't possibly think, well, maybe there's something that she needs that I can't provide, and I should just empathize with her. He didn't get it. He didn't understand it. And he didn't get it. So obviously, that did not. His words were not very comforting to her. Vatokom and then Chana gets up. After she ate in Shilo, and after she drank. So, um, so um, usually Shaso means drink, drink as in drink wine. In this particular case, it maybe she drank a little bit of wine. But she certainly didn't drink a significant amount, and even ate. She didn't obviously eat, as we just said, her big portion that she u- that she received. Uh, and she went to the. Um, she get, got up. The at this time Eli was the Kohen Gadol. He was the high priest. the Al He was sitting on a chair. Apparently there was a big chair. Al which was at the doorpost of the entrance to the Heichal, to the house of God. So apparently, Eli the high priest would sit outside the temple, and people would come. Presumably, they would maybe have a, a question, or would ask for a, a blessing of sorts, or they would, um, you know, um, pay, uh, you know, give some sort of tribute or something to Eli the high priest who was sitting on the outside. She was very bitter, very upset. And she prayed to God. And she cried and cried at the door. Apparently, her behavior was a kind of behavior that the people in those days were not used to. They were not used to this type of prayer. To them in those days, apparently people looked more at the sacrificial part, at the bringing of the sacrifice in order to get whatever it was that they were asking of God. The prayer was the secondary, but here we're emphasizing that Hannah, she prayed from her heart. She was bitter in her soul, she was sad, and she cried. Before God. And as she cried to God, she made a, a, a vow. And she said, Lord God, if you even see how, how, how impoverished and how desperate your maidservant is. Here we have Hannah questioning God, like most and so many of us, when we suffer, question God. And we can just we can try as hard as we can and think in our hearts, times that we were desperate for things and we felt bad. God do you even see me? and and if you even remember me. So number one, she's saying, God, if you even see, do you even know? and, to, and do you even care and you don't forget do, do, you, do, do you remember even who I am? Do you even know? Uh, and, uh, will you just forget about me? Do you even care? So number one, do you see? Do you know? Do you care? It's it's clear that these ideas demonstrate the idea that what we now know to be some of the basic foundations of a monotheistic religion were part of the very early Israelite religion. Many secular scholars like to say that the early Israelite religion was the same as all the Pagan religions around them. The pagan religions had their god, whether it was the Baal or Dagon or Asherah or the Egyptian gods or the Babylonian gods, etc., etc. The Jews had their god, whose name was spelled Yud k Vav K, um, um, and, and we read as God, and and um, and they had their god, who was their god, and they would worship him in this in this tabernacle and eventually the temple. But but the ideas of ethical monotheism, the ideas of 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 a knowing god of a, of of a god to, to um, was something that came much later but you see here that these ideas these core ideas that god is has a relationship with his world that god knows what's happening in this world that god is one who cares and will res- and responds to our behavior and to our feelings, this is something that we see was, was clearly something that Hannah knew and, and therefore came to the, ta- to the tabernacle for her. However, many people in those times did not know that. But what did Hannah say? She understood that when she comes to God, you can't just pray, you can't just cry. You have to be able to say, God wants your behavior. He wants to see how you act. So he says, If you care about me and you give me the opportunity to raise a child, literally Zerah Anoshim means the seed of men, which was a way of saying if you give me your maidservant a child, I will give him, on the assumption that the child would be a he, of course, to God, call all of his life. And I will not allow a a raiser to ever come upon his head. The idea of a razor not coming upon one's head is something that comes obviously from the Nazir vow, the Nazirite vow. We found this very similar story at the story of Shimshon. But Shimshon, the story of Shimshon or Samson, it was the angel of God that told Shimshon's mother that he would have to uh, fulfill that Nazirite vow throughout his life. Whereas here, it is her saying it. Is it possible? It's very possible, of course, that she understood that this is something that God might want. And what's interesting here is, I will give him to God. She doesn't clarify that she's going to hand him over to the tabernacle and and that he'll come some kind of a priest in the tabernacle, but rather that I will make sure his life will be a holy life. And that may be brought about, of course, by having him be educated in the auspices of the temple, and Moral Rosho is the is, is a, a symbol of holiness, a symbol of, of of making the priorities of 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 holiness and 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 um, worship of God and service to God over the mundane um, affairs of this world. here and then it was as she continued very much to continue to pray lift before God Pia, and Eli was watching her mouth. So here she is at a time when everyone around is feasting and drinking and she's here verse 13 she was speaking on her heart only her lips were moving Vikololo but her voice was not heard kora and Eli assumed that she was drunk. Remember how most people served God in those days. They thought it was the sacrifice that was to be brought. However, we just painted a picture, a picture that is a timeless picture of a woman in distress pouring her heart out before God, a picture of absolute religious devotion and and someone who recognizes the the basic pillar of ethical monotheism, the basic pillar of Judaism itself, and that is, is that what God wants from us is behavior what god wants from us and in this case what god wants from a mother is to raise her child properly before god and this is uh, this is an idea that 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 apparently was not prevalent among most of the masses most of the masses coming into the temple would have given their tribute would have brought their sacrifice but here we have a woman doing something else doing something different and Ailey looked at her and thought she must be drunk but did she have a lesson for him? What did she say? So Eli says to her immediately, How much are you going to sit here getting all drunk? Go get the wine off of you. Go home and rest and, and sleep off the, the, the wine. Um, uh, you know, I don't want drunkards hanging around over here. And khana answered and said to him, "Lo, No, my master. She said it in a respectful way. I am a woman who has a broken heart. I am a very upset person. I have not been drinking wine and beer. I am just pouring out my soul before God. I'll don't assume that your maidservant here that is is just like one of those uh, um, worthless bum women I have been speaking because I have so much to say and because I have lived through so much and I am I am upset and angry. That is why I have been speaking until now in this manner. To God, I can speak in such terms. Out loud, I cannot say such things. And this struck Ali right away what kind of mistake he made. He, he understood that this is the real purpose at, of the temple, at the, uh, the tabernacle. That's why this is here. She is the real deal. He says to her, "Go in peace, and may the God of Israel may he give you that which you ask for, I share that which you have asked from him. As Shelahasekh is written without an aleph. Uh, it's written Shin Lamed She'elatech would have meant that which you asked for in the way it's written even though it's read that way the way it's written the Aleph is dropped and one could look at the word and almost make the mistake that Shin Lamed would spell out the root of the word Shilya which is a placenta see he might have been hinting that he kind of caught what she was probably asking for and, and he was saying may God give you child although that's just hinted in the background of the way the word is written it's Not uh, clearly easy to read. Vatomer, and she said, May your maidservant find, find favor in your eye. This is just a respectful way to take leave of the high priest. The woman went off on her way, and she ate, and she no longer had the sad face. Now remember, at this point, she prayed. And she had the blessing of Ailey, but there's no way yet that she could have known that this was going to be fulfilled. right? Maybe she had confidence that it would be fulfilled, and this is why she was no longer sad. But maybe she had done her part. Maybe at this point she felt that she was ready to make peace with whatever God had decided for her. Now, she realizes maybe God listens, maybe he hears me, maybe he does not, right? I have from, 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 my own, from within my own abilities, from what I have around me, my husband and you know, my belongings, my life, everything that's around me, I have done everything I can do. At this point, I can go back, I can now eat and rely upon God. This image of Hannah praying and the image of the birth of Samuel coming from a broken-hearted woman, this is really the first time in the Bible, in the Torah, that this type of prayer that is so important and such a basic part of the human religious experience is, is mentioned in the Torah. Of course, we have other prayers. Most of the time they, they are involved in either also the bringing of sacrifices the prayers are, um, are, we do find uh, bargaining type prayers where the person says like by, famously by Jacob, you know, I'll come back, I'll make this a house of God if you protect me on my way, things like that. But this is the, the most and clearest portrayal of a person coming before God with a broken heart and pouring their heart out and finding the kind of peace that comes from knowing that you poured your heart out before God. The kind of peace of acceptance that, of God's will and the acceptance of what God decides for the person, which is what Hannah has just done. And now Panel Lohood, she has no longer a sad face. Even before the prayers were answered, even before she had that baby in her arms, she was already at a point where where she felt secure in the knowledge that God was with her and accepting his judgment. And and they woke up in the morning after the feast was over. and again they went and they prayed before God, and this time they all prayed together by el betam Haramasa and they returned and they came back to their homes in Rama, in the place where they lived. Vayeda Elkanah, Ishto and Elkanah knew his wife. This is you, the knew his wife always means a reference to uh, uh, sexual intercourse, um, and um, but the, the the Torah refers to this as knowing his wife. Adonai, and then God remembered her. Now there's a few things I want to point out in this verse here. They all went back and prayed together, and clearly Elkanah Elkanah saw in his wife. Something different. She ate. She's happy. Something changed. I, I tend to think, and I know this. I'm going out on a limb here because typically vayeta always means sexual intercourse, and certainly here it means the same thing, that Elkanah slept with his wife, Hana and that she became pregnant. I totally understand that, but I think that it's also hinting at something different. Elkanah knew and understood his wife, finally, now. He finally saw that after she prayed, after she stood before God and poured her heart out, he finally realized and understood that there are things that he, w- that he knew her. There are things that he cannot provide. There are things that are between her and God alone. That no matter what he does, he cannot provide them. He can provide her love, which he did. And in this case, that, that part of that love was be- the normal kind of expression of love, physical love between a man and his wife. But he also knew her. He also understood her, and he also understood that an extra slice of meat, treating her well, giving her whatever honors and special treatment he gave her, that's not enough to solve the problems that she had. And it was the reason why I say that. By the way, is because um, <laughs> is because the fact that he's it, it, we're going to find out we're reading this verse now that we're about to read that she gets pregnant. Obviously, she got pregnant because. He slept with his wife. So the the, the reason why the verse f- sticks that in there is to tell us that this vayeda was more than just a a, a, a you know, just sleeping with his wife. This vaeda was an actual knowing. Vaya is verse twenty. It was after several days, Vatar Bain, became pregnant and she gave birth to a son, Shmuel. And um uh, and she called his name Shimuel. Uh, Shimuel is a uh, contraction of, of, of Shaol Min'el. Shaol meaning asked. Shaol, we know later, is the name of King Saul, the one who, who I asked of. In other words, that the a woman prayed for this son, and Shaol, he was asked for. Min'el, but asked for. From God. So, Sha'ol Min El, uh, like contracted together, is Shimuel, and she explains her choice of name because I asked for him from God. And the man Elkanah and all of his family went, this is the next year. Um, he went again to go to bring his, um, his annual. Offerings and to fulfill his 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 neder, this the things that he had that he had um, uh, pledged uh, to God. But the next year, Chana did not go. She told her husband, I, "I need to stay home with the baby. I need to stay home with him, and then I'll bring him when he gets older, when he's old enough to be weaned." Then we can. Go and see the face of God. We can go to Shiloh via Shav and then he can live there and stay there because that's where he will get his proper education. And Elkanar, her husband, said to her, You do what you feel is proper. So you stay here until you are ready to wean him. And may God fulfill his word. Uh, and so she stayed she did not travel and she stayed to nurse and raise her child until she was old enough to be to be weaned um, the um the uh, um, um, and when he was old enough to then uh, to be weaned she brought him went uh, with her at on the you know the first occasion of, of pilgrimage to to the tabernacle at Shiloh. she brought him with him uh, when he was old enough to be weaned the with offerings for the tabernacle three cows um, one measure of a flour for a flower offering and a container of wine and she brought him to the house of God and the boy was still a young boy and they slaughtered the cow as as a sacrifice and then they brought the child to Eli the high priest and she says to Eli please my master May you, your my master may your life may you live long. I am that woman who is standing right over here with you, praying to God. Apparently, she understood that this she was someone who he would remember, someone who had taught him a lesson that he would remember. What I was praying for was this young boy that you see. God has given me that which I have asked for. In other words, you told me God should give me sech. Here is si. Here he is. Asher the one who I have asked God for him. And this is a play on words here. The word she'ela means to ask. And in a different context, it's it also means to... to to lend or to borrow, depending on how it's conjugated. So over here it's saying, I asked for God right? And I am I am being show I am lending him to God. All of the days that he, this young boy, will be in this world, who he is lent. I am lending my son to God by and they bowed there before God. This ends this we now have met the prophet Samuel as a young boy. As his mother brings him, for to to stay at the temple un, under the tutelage of the of the high priest Eli. This thank you so much for um, reading and for studying uh, this chapter together. Looking forward to studying the entire book of Samuel together, um, and have a wonderful day.